everybody. Thanks for joining us today at the uh, Wound Care Running Network podcast, which I'm excited you're here. Really, the guest speaker with me today is somebody that you know well, and it's going to be fun to listen. I'm Steve Berquist, your host. And again, this is the podcast for Speaking of Wounds. Listen, we've got John Lantis with us today. Uh, a spectacular guy. You guys know him. Dr. Lantis is the vice chair and professor of surgery, and he's the chief vascular intervascular surgeon, uh, chief of it at Mount Sinai and St. Luke's and the West Hospitals at the ICANN School of Medicine. Um, so a lot of titles. You know him because he has published like lots of papers, uh, a well-published author, and uh, he works with me as a um, on the editorial staff with the Wounds Journal. So just those kind of background tidbits, you guys know John Lantis. John, glad to have you with us on the podcast, man. Thanks. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I think this will be fun. Uh, we're all getting better at uh, using podcasts and uh, the uh, technologies. Uh, some of us of certain generations, maybe yours or mine, getting better uh, than we were. <laughs> that's, that is it for sure. Um, you know, for those listening, I think the big interest today is the fact that we get to hear from somebody whose fingers have been in a lot of pies. You have been doing studies with different materials, with different companies, upcoming things, and somebody who's actually tested the waters in so many areas makes for real interest. And I loved our little pre-talk on while we were getting ready and me being able to ask the question. People want to know, you know, what's your favorite or what's best? And I loved the way you put together this podcast for us to sort of answer that because it's not just, I like blue better than red. It's, am I dressing for a dinner that requires dress balloons? You know, it becomes a different uh, answer. Uh, and you've laid it out in a beautiful way like that. So there'll be less talk of me on these next few minutes and more of you. But I want you to share where you're coming from with the thought of, you know, how do we choose a favorite? What What is the basis of getting there with all of these cellular tissue products on the market today? Yeah, I think one of the things that's really interesting, and uh, thanks for asking the question that way, about the cellular and tissue-based uh, therapeutics is, well, number one is, as uh, clinicians, we all know that the, the physician, the advanced practitioner has the right to use things that are approved or, uh, you know, indicated, et cetera, sort of off-label. And uh, one of the interesting portions, and, and you also do the studies, and a lot of other people probably listening and, and uh, checking out this podcast do, know that a lot of these things have really only been studied in one or two wound types, right? The classic is diabetic foot ulcers, but all of us who do a lot of outpatient wound care know that that accounts for X, depending on our practice, 15%, 10%, 30%, you know, but probably not more than, you know, 30 or 40% unless you're really in the outpatient, uh, you know, foot and ankle surgery type setting. Um, with that in mind, you have to choose your uh, materials wisely. And I think the first thing to do is if there, we'll just say there's 70 plus materials out there on the market that 
they they can't and shouldn't even be uh, compared to each other directly. And that might be counterintuitive, but uh, no more than you do a full thickness skin graft, a split thickness skin graft, or a rotational flap for the uh, you know same same wound. You shouldn't be using these products for the same wound necessarily. So the example there would be you have a patient with a uh, you know, Wagner 4 that you've resected a major portion of their foot and you have a planned reconstructive option. And, you know, you may want to choose a thicker, more durable product. So I think probably putting things in a category where you have some materials and that can maybe include some amniotic materials that include umbilical cord or more basement membrane or they're triple layered. You know, there's all these different engineering strategies, but you really want to ask what's this product designed to do? And the other thing, and of course, the, the commercial companies don't love this idea necessarily, but again, as a clinician, using one product to get to point B and then a different product to get from you know B back to A um, or from you know moving along, is, is there's nothing wrong with that. So I think the first thing you have to do is what wound type am I dealing with? And that doesn't, it can be the etiology, the depth. And the cofactors. The first thing you need to do is you need to uh, you need to figure out what your goals of therapy are. What are you treating? You know, are you treating a superficial venous stasis ulcer? Um, are you treating a full thickness venous stasis ulcer? Are you treating a dehist abdominal wound and you want to fill space and you want something that's going to work really well with negative pressure wound therapy? Well, if you've got the world's greatest uh, thin layer placental based therapy that's great at closing things and epithelializing things, but that's the only thing you got on your shelf, you're not going to do probably great with that deep abdominal wound. So again, having products in the right category matters. And I think for me, usually putting things into an idea of, do you, are you trying to put in living cells? That's sort of one strategy. Are you trying to put in um, something that's bioengineered that maybe is very good for burns or massive uh, gloving injuries, trauma injuries. They may be completely an engineered construct, but you're just trying to keep that patient safe in the ICU while you're resuscitating them and treating their other injuries. Or are you trying to treat a two to four square centimeter you know, foot ulcer with good offloading in the outpatient center? And so a lot of uh, people get stuck into which one's better. I'm like, well, one, the one that's better for that you know, Wagner 2 with good offloading is completely different than what's good for the person who is, uh, you know, had their, their entire right thigh or, you know, pulled apart in a car accident. So I think having things from a couple different cat, you don't have to have the whole shelf box, but having, you know, things in different categories is paramount. So I, li I like that thought. And you realize, of course, as a, as a wound care doc, that this is what we do all day long because we wouldn't think twice about starting with an antimicrobial or we've got a silver or, an, you know, a different type of dressing. And we may go to something when there's no bio burden and move to a collagen or if it's too wet and alginate. So we change dressing as we go along, depending on the need. So you're saying carry that line of thought into our uh, cellular tissue products and be willing to change with what you need at that next stage, which yes. is a great thought. 
And then I would say, I think one of the things that's incumbent, and I think some of the lectures that you and I and a lot of other folks out there try to put together for people is the real detail of some of these, um, you know, of some of these papers. And I think the one that I like to use just an example, I mean, because it's been around for so long, is a, a product that, you know, an engineered living cellular product, Aplograph, one of the, you know, a product that's been around even when you and I were both residents that was being developed, you know. So um, that product's been heavily studied. But if you take a look at it for venous leg ulcers, and you see, you know, we know that it's been indicated for venous leg ulcers for a long time. But if you really look in the study and you find a sweet spot, its sweet spot is really for venous leg ulcers that were open greater than a year. Well, we know those things are a terrible problem. And I'm not necessarily saying Aplograph's the only thing for that at all, but it really showed a big benefit in that group. So what I would counsel people is if you start finding a product that you like, the product you've had good, we, we're all bait. I mean, we're, you're human, you use something, you use it once, it works great, you're likely to use it again. It works terrible the first time, probably you should try it a couple times. You know, we our protocol is we try everything, a minimum of five patients for whatever the most recent studies that were published say. So in other words, we, we want to set, we, our quality analysis system is built that it's usually five patients for, if the product was used five times in the study on average, median, we'll use five applications. Because we don't think, it's, you know, of course, companies like you come in and say, oh, you use it once, what do you think? I don't know. It's, what's it doing one week? Or what's it doing one month? Whatever. Um, but with Applegraph, for example, again, is, you know, that, that's uh, something you really have to read the paper to get that out of, right? The company's not going to necessarily tell you that. So when you start finding that product that's a sweet spot product for you, then grab everything that's been published about it, not just what the company, look it up, read about it, like really read it and say, where do I think this would make sense in my practice? And you might be in a practice where you, uh, maybe you are a plastic surgeon, maybe you like working with a plastic surgeon, maybe you work with someone who does a lot of skin grafts. What you really would like to do is get a lot of good granular basis. So you might find a product that makes a lot of, you know, granulation tissue quickly. It doesn't necessarily close a wound. You read some papers, you figure, oh, this granulates stuff quickly. Somebody else can then skin graft. Or I might need to cover tendon. You know, I'm I'm a, a foot and ankle surgeon who has, you know, who ends up dealing with all the dehist wounds in the neighborhood. And you got to cover a lot of tendon. Well, maybe find a product that's really good at covering tendon. And again, those can be different products, right? And I think that's the thing is you want to, it's incumbent upon the practitioner to really know the product that they're using and figure out where it's, it's best used and how to best use it. And some of that is reviewing the literature. And we all know the literature, 12 cases that you, know, you or I published that we thought was interesting. But read those too. Case series can be useful. So I, I, I counsel people to do that. You know, I really, I really agree with you uh, on trying to urge people to at least look something up. Um, we've entered a time period where you and I came through training and we had to read like crazy. And when we went through training, we had journal clubs and we learned how to take papers apart and, and were they comparing to apples and oranges and what were the details. Um, I talked to some of the new graduates now. They're watching video runs of things. They're not actually reading. Um, I, I think, and, and when I talk to people that say, well, show me the literature, and I'm like, well, when was the last time you looked anything up? 
And they, there's this inherent desire to see the proof, but there's not an inherent desire for all of our colleagues to dig out the proof. And when we count on the marketing companies to give us the proof, we've got to realize this is a marketing venue. So when we want a scientific venue and not a marketing venue, it's nice to have a podcast like this where we're talking to somebody who's not pushing a product, but who's saying, I've looked at different products. Go look something up and read a little bit about it. Now, we're trying to make that easily acceptable through the uh, Wound Care Learning Network, uh, woundcarelearningnetwork.com, um, putting several of the publications together in access, not putting the publications together, but access to them together where people can actually, uh, our colleagues can get in there and look something up. Uh, it, which, which would be helpful. All right, so I love the fact that if we're trying to pull out of you what's your favorite and you've used uh, a lot of cellular tissue products and you're showing us that my favorite in this situation is gonna be different than my favorite in that situation, then it starts making sense. It's not just a favorite, it's a where that puzzle piece actually fits in the puzzle. And then it becomes, uh, makes more sense. Well, what other, piece of information on choosing a cellular tissue product you want to throw at us? Well, I think one of the things is, again, the diagnosis is key to, to taking a look at something. Um, an example here would be all of us who are in the outpatient care center and inpatient care programs, both, but especially outpatient, you know, we see a lot of atypicals, right? And there, and we all get our, and I think we, you know, I think it's worth talking about that and looking for papers and that, and, you know, as you well know, there are very few publications in regards to atypical ulcers. And I think a lot of times, um, a lot of us are at conferences and somebody will put up a picture and they'll say, oh, this is a penostasis ulcer. And, you know, 50% of the audience is like, that's not a penostasis ulcer. That's probably, you know, patient hepatitis, rheumatoid arthritis, and venostasis. And so we, but we have also slipped into the idea that I think the one size fits all is what I'm getting to. I think um, we do have to take a look at uh, algorithms of care, right? And I think that's the, the key, really, that I'm getting to here. We, if a person has bad rheumatoid arthritis, we need to be coordinating with the rheumatologist and our plan of care. And there are a couple of things, you know, I've, everything from uh, cadaveric skin, uh, certainly I've used in uh, atypicals. There are a couple of publications actually looking at engineered products like uh, uh, dermal regenerative template uh, for atypicals, which are probably, uh, quite frankly, the, when you try to find what works for this um, for patients with rheumatoid arthritis. The problem is a lot of us, even though we might see, um, you know, 10% of our patients maybe have an atypical problem, no one puts those into a box and starts to write about it. So what I uh, would counsel folks when they're making their decisions again are uh, take things that make sense in the in your major wound types and then figure out what you're trying to do in an atypical. Are you trying to reduce inflammation? Are you trying to reduce pain? And you can pull from your personal experience. You can say, I noticed that when I use this on, you know, diabetic foot ulcers with neuropathy, they they feel better. Okay, let's try that in an atypical. So you can move from what you use in a more standard wound type to an atypical. People talk about post-surgical wounds. And I always say, well, what do you mean by that? Open transmetatarsal amputation is a post-surgical wound, and 100% of the time it's open. 
or do you mean a dehist, you know, do you mean a dehist plastic surgery, fan and steel, you know, tummy tuck? Those are two totally different wounds. So um, you, we have to, you have, just have to be careful about um, not using the product without the correct algorithm of care. And the, the final portion I'll say to that, I think everybody probably who's tuning into this type of podcast or picking this up gets this, but all of these things have to be used with best practices to treat that wound. And I would, I think the classic one easily, and I think a lot of people have heard me say this and you say it and a lot of other uh, thought leaders say it, but you know, when I see a picture of someone who says, oh, I was using X on this guy's foot, it didn't work, what do you think? And in the background, you realize that they probably have a plantar, uh, you know, Wagner 2, Wagner 3 type ulcer, and you see that there's a sneaker sitting in the background. You're like, well, how are you offloading? And they're like, well, you know, I, I've got a, he has an insert. And you're like, don't, you can be, you're preaching to the choir here is, right. is how we would have said in church days. Um, yeah. li listen, uh, have you had them walk in with their Cam Walker boot under their arm? Oh, yeah, yeah. They yeah. got their walking boot with them. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to wear it today because I was going to get it dirty and I wear it whenever I go outside. Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. are, those are the good ones. But yeah, I think one of the things is make sure you're maximizing all the other things when you're, when you're thinking about cellular and tissue based therapy. But I do honestly, unfortunately you and I both looked at that data and Carolyn Fife puts that data out there. Other people put that data out there. Um, but uh, the wound registry has it, et cetera. And then certainly if you're even with a, um, you know, one of the other commercial, um, the, enterprises often has the data but we know that a lot of folks are getting treated for venous stasis ulcers diabetic foot ulcers without best practices just being aimed at them already the offloading and compression or even diagnosis diagnostic testing uh, so i think one of the things is to remember that no cellular tissue-based therapy is a panacea and every trial you've ever seen for these the patients are always in almost all cases are getting best therapy in addition to the product. But I do think that there are a lot of patient, uh, patients who get treated with some of these advanced products who it's put on without, um, without a thought to the global picture of the patient. And we all heard, you know, treat the whole patient, don't treat the whole of the patient and all these things. But um, again, that gets forgotten more than we think. And I bet if when you audit your own centers, um, and I've said this before too, you know, as a vascular surgeon, all my bypasses stay open, of course, but I look at them. But if someone else looks at them, strangely, 65% of them stay open and that 35% closed. But, but if you really get you know, if you really audit your own data, you realize, well, this one off and that one off. Oh, we, we didn't compress, we didn't do this. And so you just have to really um, focus on staying true to the fundamentals when you're using these products. I, I think one of the things that we might find bringing us back to home it's what you're describing is I think we'll be forced to. So if we look at what we were doing in the past with hyperbaric oxygen therapy and now with rack audits, et cetera, you realize that, oh, I have to have documented that I approach their nutrition, that I approach their infection, that I approach, you know, you go down the whole list of best practices and it's documented. Um, I think we're going to have to find that we had to slow down, document those best practices are there because we may find a problem with reimbursement down the road if we don't cross our T's and dot our I's in that sense. 
listen, um, John, this is what a podcast is designed to do, just to uh, chat for a minute, get somebody interested. They can find more information on this on the Wound Care uh, Learning Network and uh, just a little uh, uh, pointing towards you. You know, we're doing an SAWC uh, wound virtual uh, meeting coming up, and I believe you're uh, presenting in that virtual uh, world. So they're going to like seeing more detail on this subject actually with slides and stuff. So I would point them that way. I also want to say that. Um, Anybody listening on this podcast today, don't be totally surprised if uh, what you're listening to has a few gaps because our connection has gone in and out. And um, sometimes the editing of that blank spot may leave your words jumping from here to there. If that happened, that's part of the podcast world and trying to record. And uh, any last moment from you before I sort of sign us off there? I'm not trying to cut you off. No, not at all. Uh, real pleasure. And, you know, I think podcasts, we all know that uh, adult learners, uh, you know, at, at best probably pay, well, people say 42 minutes, but I think it's really 20 minutes of attention. So uh, I appreciate having a chance to chat with you. It's always a real pleasure. Uh, and I look forward to uh, our next virtual meeting. Ah, oh, very good. Well, listen, everybody, this is Steve Berquist, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to uh, Speaking of Wounds the uh, Wound Care Learning Network podcast, and you can find more podcasts at woundcarelearningnetwork.com. Uh, a lot of words there, but you can just replay that. And I'm so thankful to have uh, Dr. John Lantis with us today, and I look forward to you guys joining us on future podcasts. Thanks. <laughs>